You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Asbury. Welcome to Friday. You're still standing after a week of syllabus shock. And even better, you've got a three-day weekend coming ahead of you. Excitement. So remember, welcome uh, welcome back. Hang out tonight. Uh, come fuel up in the Kresge lobby at 8 p.m. You've got food, games, prizes to be had. So Kresge lobby tonight. Tomorrow, men's basketball. And uh, Asbury men, you guys are 13-3. and three. Incredible uh, start to the season. And uh, yes, that's a great, that's worth celebrating. The game has changed tomorrow to 3 p.m. instead of uh, 7 tomorrow night. So come out and support their game against Simmons College tomorrow. As we launch the semester this week, all of us are starting a year together. We're we're seeking where God is calling us. A new year calls us through a new doorway to make new goals, new commitments, stirred with new aspirations. And so for our call to worship this morning, I'll read from 1 Kings chapter 23. And you can hear how God's people were constantly recommitting themselves to his call in their life. This is 1 Kings 23, the first three verses. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord, to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all of the people pledged themselves together to the covenant. We're a covenant people as we uh, worship together. And so join me in prayer as we uh, prepare our hearts. God, thank you for the gift of a new school year. Thank you for the gift of this community and the people that you have given us on this journey of college together. Lord, in this place, uh, in this time that we have together, let us not take it for granted. Lord, uh, as we start this year, may you uh, renew our hearts and may, may in our hearts and minds, we enter in to renew our commitment to follow you. So, Holy Spirit, meet us this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus together. Amen. To share some about the vision of chapel this semester. So, welcome Zeke and Aiden and Madeline. Hi, I'm Maddie. Um, last fall semester, chapel focused on you are what you love. As a continuation of that, um, becoming theme chapel will focus on love and action this semester. Um, so we'll be studying from Romans 12 through 14, and we encourage you guys to start diving into these texts. 
Yeah, so Romans 12 talks about um, what it looks like to live as a living sacrifice. And chapter 13 talks about um, like how we relate to authority. That'll be kind of a hot topic. Um, and chapter 14 talks about how to disagree well in community while still honoring others and remaining true to your convictions. So one final thought. We're going to be hearing from a lot of amazing speakers this semester in chapel, but there are five who will be specifically speaking on this theme of love and action. And those five are President Brown, Dr. Sarah Baldwin, Dr. Joy Vaughn, President Greg Hasloff, and Reverend Zach Meerkreeps. So enjoy. Good morning. I have the privilege of introducing our chapel speaker this morning, Reverend Dr. Esther Jodhoff. Reverend Dr. Jodhav received her academic training at Jesuit academic institutions and public university in India, as well as Wesleyan institutions in the United States. Her undergraduate degree in anthropology and sociology is from St. Xavier's College in Mumbai, India. She completed her MDiv and her master's in theology at Asbury Theological Seminary. And in 2021, she completed her PhD also from Asbury Theological Seminary with an emphasis in contextual theology. In 2009, she was ordained as an elder in the United Methodist Church. Reverend Dr. Jodhav has an impressive academic career. She's credentialed and she is sought after for leadership on significant committees in various church and university settings. She is immersed in the worlds of cultural intelligence and Wesleyan theology and she brings these two worlds together seamlessly. Her contribution to the work of the church and the university and our Asbury community is immeasurable. But most importantly, Esther is a person after God's own heart. It is obvious if you spend any amount of time with her that she desires to be a part of building God's kingdom and that God, in fact, is doing just that through her. And our community is better for it. I also want to welcome her mother, who is here with us today, a woman who also authentically hosts the presence of God. I'm really glad that you get to hear from Esther today, and I encourage you to open your hearts and your minds to hear what God has to say to us through her. Thank you, Maria, for that kind introduction. And I want to thank uh, Dr. Sarah Baldwin and our chapel team for working so tirelessly to construct this act of worship. It takes a lot to bring this together, and we just get to enjoy on the other end of it. We don't see the magnanimous efforts behind all of this work. It is also my privilege this morning to thank my mom for getting out in the cold to be in chapel with us. And I was busy over there taking a picture so that I can send it to my dad, who is currently in Mumbai, getting ready to retire from the Methodist Church in India after almost 50 years of service, not only in India, but around the world. So dear Asbury, I come to you with a heart filled with gratitude because God has done amazing things. It doesn't always feel that way when we're on the journey, but I can be a witness to that in some measure this morning that if we give God a chance, 
He can do amazing things with whatever we are, with whoever we are, with whatever we have done. The only ask of us is that we give him a try. When I was invited to share in chapel this morning, for some reason, my mind quickly went to this concept of freedom. And I was a bit stunned by it because that was last semester, and I found myself continuing to find that word in my heart and mind as I was working on chapel message this morning. And so because it stayed with me for over four months or so, I just decided to give it a deep dive. So I hope and pray that there is something in here that each one of us can take away for whatever it is that we have brought as our needs this morning. We may not know yet because it's Friday, it's the end of the week, we're done, our brains may be turned off, but I hope that just for a nanosecond, we can get a glimpse into what God may have for us. In March 2018, I traveled to Berlin for the first ever board meeting of the General Board of Church and Society. This particular board, which works as one of the auxiliary teams of the United Methodist Church in America, for the first time was planning to orchestrate this meeting outside the bounds of the United States because they wanted to demonstrate their connection with churches around the world. The experience for me was one I will never forget for multiple reasons, from visiting Holocaust museums to the Berlin Cathedral there was rich history riveted by pain and suffering, by trauma and tragedy. One would never want for oneself, nor wish upon others, no matter how hurt we may be. It was in walking the streets of Berlin, marked by what's called Stolperstein, also popularly known as Stumbling Stone, a concrete brass cube inscribed with the family name and dates of when their lives were lost during Nazi extermination. I realized in that moment, walking on these stumbling stones, that human dignity can never come at the cost of dehumanizing or disempowering another. You cannot elevate one at the cost of de-elevation of another. What does this have to do with freedom? I'm glad you asked. The whole world, including you and I, are driven by a raging desire to have freedom and freedom at every cost. And yet it is astonishing and puzzling to my small mind that if everyone is seeking freedom, how come some do and some don't? 
Many countries around the world and people groups of every race and every ethnicity, of every stripe, have their own stories of fight for freedom. Why is it then that freedom often, if not always, in our human experience, whether individual or communal, is associated with someone else not being free. Is that truly freedom? And after all, what are you and I seek what are what are you and I seeking freedom for, freedom from, and for what? To what end? What is the purpose of our struggle to be free? In Luke chapter 15, in verses 11 through 32, we meet a very familiar face, the prodigal son. Many of us that have grown up in the church have probably heard a gazillion sermons on the prodigal son and his father. This young son who many scholars have concurred on is that he's probably around 18 or younger. So this younger son for us perhaps greatly signifies in some measure our own search for freedom. While having everything he could need at his fingertips, he still desired to be free. But freedom from what? And for what purpose? Did he seek to be free from his father's house so he could prove himself? Anybody resonate? Did he seek to be free so he could just get away from an ordered life, perhaps, which, we can, be noted, which can be noted from his family's lifestyle? His family was known for carrying out family traditions, keeping cattle, harvesting the fields, etc. Anyone resonate? Did he seek freedom so he could create an identity for himself? Anyone resonate? As we keep reading the parable, we know how the story unfolds. The father, quite possibly surprised and shocked by his younger son's ask, found in verse 12, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me a rare occurrence in those days and in that culture. We don't hear of an argument between the father and the son. And in a time when Jewish law did not permit a father to decide which assets would go to which son while he was still living, we see in this parable a father who grants the request of his son. As we continue to keep reading the parable, we are informed that not too long after, the son takes his share of wealth and goes to a faraway country, and there he squanders his wealth in reckless living. His condition was so bad. It was so awful that he hired himself out to work something he never had to do when he was in his father's home. 
The parable, the narrative in Luke tells us that this young prodigal son worked for a citizen of this faraway country. And this person who he hired himself to sent him to feed the pigs, which he had never done. Quite possibly a task not worthy of his stature and status in society. Verse 16 says further that there came a time when this young prodigal son was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Ever in that place of desperation and not finding something? Finally, when he came to the end of himself and to his senses, he realizes that his father's workers had more than enough bread. But he was here perishing, broken and ashamed. He humbles himself and says to his father, Father, I have sinned against you. I am not worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your workers. But the father instead embraces his son and welcomes him home to his rightful place as his son. The father could have been mad and upset and said, well, you are going to receive a punishment for what you did. But in fact, what we see is the father welcomes his son home and restores him to his rightful place as his son. What are you seeking freedom from and to what end? John Wesley in his sermon on what is man tells us that freedom is, is quite possibly could be understood as the liberty of contradiction and the liberty of contrariety. Simply put, the willingness to do something or the willingness to not do something. So my question for us this morning is in our pursuit of freedom, what are we willing our freedom to? Seeking freedom is not only one's right, but it is also one's responsibility. What are we doing with this precious commodity called freedom that many of us have perhaps received because of the sacrifices of others, not because we have done something to be free? Are you using your freedom to bring about good or squandering this wealth of freedom and not working to bring about good in our broken world. In this parable, the young son's freedom became his burden. He longed for his father's home and the freedom that he had there that he did not realize in the time was a valuable treasure. What are we doing with this freedom that we have? 
Or are you seeking to be free from something for something? In today's time, we are often trying to be free from the wounds that others may have caused us or the wounds that we may have inflicted on others. The guilt of inflicting those wounds does not allow us to just get away easily. So what are we doing with this gift of freedom that we have received? Author and scholar Fred Craddock states in his commentary on Luke that there is a condition that death that is worse than death, and that is to be lost. Please hear this. There is a condition worse than death, and that is to be lost. There is a condition better than life, and that is to be found. When my eyes came across those words, I got so excited because it was so rich with meaning that there is a condition worse than death, and that is to be lost. And there is a condition better than life, and that is to be found, to be known, to be loved. Is your pursuit of freedom to be found? Or has your freedom become your burden? Perhaps there are many of us who live with freedoms and they are burdens for us and we don't even know what to do. What are you seeking to be free from and for what purpose? The father in the parable is a grand reflection of God's love for us in and through Jesus Christ. The father, even after the son's rebellion, receives him with love and compassion and does not subject him to anything less, but restores him to his rightful place of being his son. Oh, what joy it must have been to be restored to the rightful place. Have you ever felt that? When it is right for you, there is joy. When it is right for you, you are found. We may not fully comprehend the depth of those words, but I invite you to sit with these words. Oh, what joy there must be when we are found. I have never heard or never seen of such kindness and such mercy. One mistake in our current time and culture, and we are out. But here, in this parable, in Luke 15... We have a father who exemplifies God's generosity towards us that even when we squander away who we are, he restores us to our rightful place as his children, as his imago Dei. 
He restores our identity as being the ones that are made in the likeness of God. And the world is still trying to comprehend what it means to be made in God's likeness. Everyone aspires to it, whether we know it or not. We are all trying to live into that grand reality in our mortal human experience. If we look all around us, we see that there is a gap between our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. The words that are often discussed in theological circles with great enthusiasm, the disconnects, the gaps between our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy, simply stated, between our being and our doing. There is a disconnect. There is a gap. We sing hymns that talk about loving all the people of the world. There is a gap because people don't feel loved. And it's not only about feeling loved, but it is knowing that you are loved, which is more than just a temporal feeling. There is a gap between our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. And scholars such as Miroslav Wolf and Dorothy Bass in their work Practicing Theology note how religious belief and practices are tempered by our human nature. So what we do as people of faith is tempered and informed by our human nature. So let us not live in oblivion that for some reason it's just happening out there without our being participants in it. What is happening out there is not disassociated with who we are as people in this human form. Let me say this again. Wolf and Dorothy Bass in Practicing Theology note how religious belief and practices are tempered by our human nature, thus causing gaps to reoccur at a variety, in a variety of ways between belief and practices. Is there a gap that you see between what we say we believe and what we say we do? If you see a gap, it's an invitation for us to provide a corrective. Because the longer the gap continues to extend, the greater the danger for humanity, for all of us. The longer that gap between what we believe and what we do continues to grow, we are in red alert zone. So please hear this invitation to step into this gap that we find within our own belief and our own practice of it and the beliefs and the practices of the communities that we are members of and rightfully so.
let us step in to bring a corrective, to restore to rightful places, things that are broken, that were not intended to be. What do we believe about this freedom? That we pursue with such diligence. And why do we pursue it, given that we are all trying to be free from something for something? May our pursuit of freedom be for the purpose of being found as the beloved people of God. May the pursuit of our freedom be for the purposes of being found as the beloved people of God. His imago Dei. Let God instruct you. Let the Holy Spirit reveal to you. And these things can only happen when we invite and position ourselves in a posture when we say, here I am. All of me. I'm not asking you to go ask a theologian. I'm not asking you to go talk to a priest. I am requesting you to invite God into your space. And even if you don't know this God as we know from the works of St. Paul, who spoke to a people who were not familiar with this God, and he said, let me tell you who we worship. Even if you're not familiar, I invite you to take this risk and invite God and ask him to show you, ask him to reveal to you, ask him to speak to you, and trust him to deliver. The problem, friends, I am discovering in this human walk is that we don't often have the patience to wait on God to deliver. So we rush in and we try to fix. <laughs> and oh, the grief, because sometimes when I try to fix myself, I create more problems knowingly or unknowingly. So I want to close this morning with a prayer that is famously known as the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Please receive these words this morning. Especially in the context of us seeking freedom from something for something. Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow your love. Not our love, your love. Where there is injury, let us sow pardon. Where there is doubt, help us to sow faith. Where there is despair, help us to bring hope. Where there is darkness, help us to bring light. 
Where there is sadness, help us to bring joy. O Divine Master, O Divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, because it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. We can never give if we do not receive. We can never pardon unless we have pardoned the other. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying to self that we are born to eternal life. Gracious, merciful God, help us be the people that you want us to be, that you have desired for us to be. And in this human struggle of trying to find our freedom, to be just that. Please come quickly to us. Because there are some of us that are experiencing something that's worse than death, and that is to be lost. We invite you to give us the gift this day of something that is more extraordinary than to be alive, and that is to be found, to be known who we are, to be known what we, to know what we've been called to do, and to do it with greatest joy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.